Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Wednesday, January, January 12, 2022, coming up on Roland Martin Unfiltered, streaming live on the Black Star Network. The black man shot by an off-duty white North Carolina deputy is claiming self-defense. Witness statements contradict the deputy's claim. Ben Crump is representing the family of Jason Walker. He is here to give us an update on the investigation, along with the brother of Jason Walker. Tomorrow, President Joe Biden is expected to rally Senate Democrats on election reform. Uh, we'll hear from Senator Amy Klobuchar about what they are doing to convince the fellow Democrats to support ending the filibuster to carve out for voting rights. Also, Republican Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, ooh, he is not happy at all. And so he blasted the president on the floor of the Senate today. We'll show you that nonsense. We'll also talk to uh, activists in Georgia who are on the ground fighting for votes. They, again, make it clear they want to see action from Senate Democrats. Congressman Alcee Hastings passed away last night. Uh, the person who won his seat special election. She'll be joining us right here on the show. The Louisiana man rearrested at the prison gate for after spending 47 years in prison has been finally released. We will talk with his attorney and the DOJ is creating a domestic terrorism unit. Hmm. Yep. For them white folks losing their mind. And of course, in our marketplace segment sponsored by Verizon, uh, we'll also uh, share with you in terms of how to cut down on your debt while spending money. Hmm. It's time to bring the funk on Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. Let's go. He's got it. Whatever the miss, he's on it. Whatever it is, he's got the scoop, the fact, the fine. And when it breaks, he's right on time. And it's rolling. Best believe he's knowing. Putting it down from sports to news to politics. The family of the black man who was killed by an off-duty North Carolina deputy sheriff, they are demanding answers, and they have hired attorney Ben Crump to help them. Jeffrey has shot and killed 37-year-old Jason Walker after he alleged that Walker ran into traffic and jumped onto the moving vehicle that the sheriff's deputy was driving. So, 
he said, self-defense, but witnesses contradict what he has to say. Joining us right now is attorney Ben Crump, as well as Marlo Walker, the brother uh, of the deceased. Certainly glad to have both of you with us. Uh, Marlo, I'm so sorry uh, for your uh, family's loss, and you have to uh, deal with all of this. Uh, first and form for foremost, uh, Marlo, just, just give folks a sense of uh, who your brother was. Uh, Jason was a uh, kind-hearted gentleman. Uh, loved people, showed you, he loved you by being personable with you. Uh, it was nothing he wouldn't do for you. If you asked him to do something for you, he would go out of his way to make sure he would do it for you or get it done for you. And um, at, at, at the time of his passing, what, you know, what was he doing? Uh, what was he doing there in Fayetteville, North Carolina? We, we grew up in Fayetteville. Grew up in Fayetteville, and so he was, um, and so, uh, uh, so, so, uh, so he was working there. Was he going to school there? Yes, he was working here in Fayetteville. Ben, uh, we've been uh, looking at this, and again, um, it's very interesting. Uh, the sheriff announced that the uh, vehicle the officer was driving, the so-called black box, was it working or was it turned on? Uh, he's given a particular statement. Now witnesses are saying uh, totally different. Has, has any video come forward, anything else uh, showing what happened? No video has come forward, Roland. And uh, obviously, the thing that is so heartbreaking to the family is the white woman who is the only eyewitness that has come forward says she was down trying to help save Jason's life, but yet the police, when they came to the scene, they did not even respond to him. They all went to this off-duty police officer, the person who hadn't shot anybody, even though the crowd was saying, this man is shot. And it reminds you, Roland Martin, of Ahmaud Arbery, how when the police got there, they didn't have any care for Ahmaud Arbery. They went directly to try to help this police not offer any compassion or humanity to the unarmed black man that had been shot. And, uh, you know, as I, I get to learn more about Jason. He was a single uh, parent raising his 14-year-old son and was a very uh, thoughtful person. And it's just this could have been avoided based on the witness account. There was no reason she believed for him to shoot her, shoot um, Jason. And she, she, and I, and nobody with common sense believes a black man jumped on top of a moving truck. And more likely, like the witness said, he slammed on brakes, he hit Jason, and more than likely Jason slapped, slapped his hands on the hood, but we are waiting for the witness statements to come forward so we can get to the bottom of this. We know a man who was inside a truck got out of a truck at some point and continued to shoot uh, this man uh, per the witness. Shot him once from in the truck, but then shot for a total of four shots. And she believed he got out of his truck shooting. Well, the, the thing that's just, again, confusing here is, uh, okay, so he jumped on the vehicle. So that's enough to kill somebody? I mean, you don't, you, you know, you don't uh, call for help. So you're automatically in, your automatic instinct is to shoot and fire to kill as if he was attacking you? 
I mean, that's, I mean, that's, I'm just trying to think, you know, if you're an officer, what's reasonable? Yeah. And what about de-escalation? And, and what Marlo and I talked about earlier, Roland, if this was a black man who has shot a white man in this instance, you know they would have taken his gun on the scene, they would have detained him, they would have probably arrested him and took him into custody, but they didn't take his gun, they didn't detain him, they talked to him and took apparently everything he said as the gospel, and that's why people are so outraged because people were on the scene and started gathered on the scene and saw how they treated this white uh, off-duty deputy versus how they gave no consideration to this unarmed black man. And I think what we're going to find, Roland, is that these witnesses have no dog in this fight. This white lady did not know Jason Walker. So why would she have any reason but to tell the truth as she saw it. Uh, Marlo, um, again, it is, you know, as we're sitting here trying to uh, understand uh, what went on here, uh, I, it, it's just still baffling to me that um, him running the traffic and jumping on a vehicle uh, re results in his life being taken. Marlo? Uh, looks like Marlo's uh, video uh, has frozen. Um, hopefully, we we'll get him back. Ben, where does this case stand? As it has, it, as it go, who's who's actually investigating as well? Right now, Roland, they said that the uh, uh, mayor and the city council has asked the FBI to come in. Uh, they have been daily protests since this happened, shutting down highways and protesting out in front of uh, the police department, but. Where we stand right now, Roland Martin, and you and I have seen far too many of these. Uh, autopsy was performed. We're going to get an independent autopsy because we think, in this case, trajectory of the bullets and entry wounds are going to be very important. Uh, they believe he was shot in the back at some point. We need to know that. Uh, whether they're going to be transparent and let out where the entry and exit wounds were on Jason Walker's body, we wait to see. We know, they already know now, Roland, because they did the autopsy. So are they going to be transparent? Are they going to tell us what they always tell us? It's a pending investigation, and we can't reveal it. All right, then. Uh, Attorney Ben Crump, we surely appreciate it, man. Thank you so very much. Absolutely, Roland Martin. All right, folks, uh, voting rights continues to be an issue that we uh, have been focused on. The message by President Joe Biden uh, yesterday and now is it's time to end the filibuster. Now, several voting rights groups uh, sent their own message to the president. Don't come to Georgia without a plan. Uh, they made it clear that uh, speech is one thing, but he has to do more. One of those organizations is the New Georgia Project. Ente uh, Ufo, CEO of the New Georgia Project, joins us right now from Atlanta. Ente, glad to have you back on the show. Thanks for having me. Hi, Roland. So, you know, oh, you had a lot of black folks upset with y'all. How dare y'all not go to the speech? What's wrong with you? How dare you show up, President Biden, Vice President Harris? Uh, they were running around posting photos of MLK meeting with LBJ. Clearly, they haven't read because there were many instances where Dr. King did not come to the White House, refused to meet with LBJ, uh, especially when he opposed the Vietnam War. Uh, and one of the things that I have continued 
to tell people is that you need to learn the difference between an inside and the outside strategy. There are people who are on the outside whose job is to push, 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 and that's not, they don't have the same job as those who are sitting on the inside uh, drinking coffee, drinking tea, and having meetings. Absolutely. Listen, I think that folks got me mistaken for some social justice socialite. I'm an organizer. I'm accountable to a base of people. We've helped 600,000 Black folks and young people and Latinos and Asian Americans register to vote in all 159 of Georgia's counties. If I was focused on a photo op, if I was focused on getting invited to the cool kids' parties, we would not be able to do that work in such a hostile environment like Brian Kemp's Georgia. And so I'm super clear about what our goals are and how we are to, and the, the plan that we have to advance towards those goals. And so I would argue that our approach is bearing fruit already that, you know, breaking news today, uh, that there's going to be a vote on the For the People Act and the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act. Um, now, we still have to uh, overcome the filibuster hurdle, and so we still have to overcome cloture, um, and that will take a couple of days to play out, but that was not on the agenda when the president was on his way to Atlanta yesterday to give a speech. And I would say that organizing did that. Well, and, and that's the thing that I keep trying to get folks to understand, because even what he said yesterday, Biden was not there three months ago, six months ago, nine months ago. It was the relentless pressure. It was the protest in front of the White House uh, by uh, Black Voters Matter and, and y'all others. It was a poor people's campaign. It was the arrest taking place uh, at the U.S. Capitol. Congresswoman jo uh, Joyce Beatty, Congressman Hank Johnson, uh, and other, others. It was that level of intensity uh, that caused him to, to get off of that position. And so, yeah. for, 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 all, for all of these, um, you know, Twitter activists, these, uh, these YouTube yackers, uh, and, and these folks who all they do is run their mouths on TikTok and Instagram, and, and what I said to them, y'all ain't put y'all body out there. Y'all ain't gone to no rural county in Georgia or Alabama and Mississippi in the middle of COVID, risking COVID, contracting COVID, uh, and then you want to tell the actual people who are what to do? Kiss my ass. Come on. Listen, we have boots on the ground in all 159 of Georgia's counties. They cannot say that. And again, I feel confident and anchored. So it's funny because I got a call from our elders, um, Cortland Cox, who I'm going to shout out right now, um, an original member of SNCC, the Student Nonviolent Coalition, um, uh, Student SNCC, ooh, they're going to kill me. Um, the Student Nonviolent Coordinating uh, Committee, co that's Nick. Yes. Um, gave me a call and gave me the strategy documents from 1963 and 1964 that they were using in advance of uh, the passage of the Voting Rights Act and the Civil Rights Act, right? And told us, keep going, right? That you're absolutely right that um, there are people who are going to criticize you and attack you because they want to be uh, again, invited to the White House Christmas party. And they have different goals than we have. Our goal is to make sure that
that we are able to stop these attacks on our country's election infrastructure, that the attack is coming from inside the House. And this isn't some garden variety partisan bickering. This has the ability to destabilize our nation and interfere with our ability to self-govern. And it is also a direct attack on the growing Black political power that is happening in the Deep South. And that challenges the status quo, including Black Democrats who have enjoyed sort of acting as our representatives and as our spokespersons for far too long without actually getting anything done. That's not everybody, but there are enough of them, and they are vocal, and they've been really critical of our organizing in this moment. And again, I'm going to listen to Cortland Cox and people who actually built, uh, who took arrests, who took bricks to the face alongside John Lewis, who are telling us we were in this exact position in 1962, 1963. You're on the right path. Keep going. Well, um, uh, in a moment, we're going to hear from uh, Senator Amy Klobuchar, who I talked with, uh, who laid out uh, the kind of pressure that they are applying to their fellow Democrats. At the end of the day, they've got to get all 50 Democrats on board. Uh, and there are two major senators, Cinema and Manchin, uh, who are holding out. Uh, and, and again, the, the, the thing that I, I really wish uh, all of these people who are running their mouths uh, understand is... Uh, the role of activists is not to make elected officials comfortable. In fact, your job is to make them uncomfortable, provide as much discomfort as possible. And here's the deal. Y'all didn't go to the speech. It was on television. It was on radio. You could have streamed it, so it's not like you didn't hear it. Right. I heard the speech. Right. Uh, we had a, we went on Instagram live afterwards and, uh, you know, gave some feedback and gave some commentary. Um, again, I think that we all have choices to make. Right. I got the same 24 hours as, as, as everyone else. And when I think about all that we have ahead of us in Georgia, right, we're talking about the legislative session that started on Monday. And Republicans weren't happy with the trash anti-voting bills that they passed last year. They came back this year and said, you know what? We're getting rid of drop boxes, right? That they just signed into law, Governor Kemp just signed into law, these trash, super gerrymandered maps that are going to bind our hands for the next decade or more if we don't get the John Lewis Voting Rights Act past that would prevent these kinds of things or reverse them now that they're already happening. So again, there's going to be a vote tomorrow. Um, and that was not the case before the speech in Atlanta. That was not the case before, uh, you know, we drew a line in the sand. Um, and organizing gets the goods. Being accountable to our people. I am facing the people. That's who we take our marching orders from. That's who we take our directions from. All right. Uh, Enze, we certainly appreciate it. Thanks a bunch. Where can people, um, uh, they want to support uh, what y'all do? Where can they go? Uh, I'm at uh, Enze Ufad on social media, but we're also at New Georgia Project all over. Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. Uh, come look at these auntie dances if you want, if, if you choose. Um, but the work continues. Uh, we would love, love, love uh, to have your support. Please put something in the collection plate or sign up to volunteer. All right. We appreciate it. Thanks a lot.
Thank you. Take care. All right. Uh, Scott Bolden, a former uh, head of the National Bar Association Political Action Committee, Robert Patillo, Executive Director, Rainbow Push Coalition, Peach Street Street Project. Let's have both of y'all on the show. Look, th 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 this is real simple. I mean, I just watched all of these whiners, these complainers, uh, and I'm sitting here going, y'all ain't done a damn thing but just sit your ass in your comfortable crib uh, and watch <laughs> other folks do the work. You know, I mean, Robert, we were there in Georgia in 2020. Mm -hmm. We were there uh, as Black Voters Matter and New Georgia Project and all of these folks, they, they were on the ground. They were in Clayton County in uh, Marietta. They were out there in Athens and they were in uh, Warner Robins and, and all these places. And so I'm sitting there going, how the hell y'all gonna tell the folk doing the work what work they should be doing? Well, well you know, I, I agree with you, Roland. The only issue that I would have is I think we, we have to get rid of this distinction of inside versus outside pressure. We got to work from all angles concurrently. So it's not that the people who are in the meeting with the president where, you know, I want to hobnob and rub elbows, I'm not going to pressure him. It's that there's a different role that an Andy Young or that a, uh, I was uh, there with Reverend Jackson yesterday or Al Sharp can play on the inside versus what the activists do on the outside. And the issue that I had with the protest yesterday was we found out about the protest about an hour before we were in the car headed to the uh, the actual speech with the president when we found out that people were boycotting outside call me i am the easiest person on earth to find now I'm now robert now you, robert, robert you clearly robert you clearly didn't watch yesterday's uh the monday show because we had them on the show they were all over uh, media so they didn't just tell uh, everybody hold up they didn't tell everybody an hour before they were not showing up. We knew they had a news conference on Monday. Well, they disseminated Cliff Albright was on this show Monday saying why they were doing it. Roll it. My, my point is we got uh, Rainbow Push, NAACP, SELC, uh, Urban League. Uh, we have a panoply of organizations in. Okay, Robert froze, but Scott, those organizations were already gone. Sharpton was going to the speech. Derek Johnson, CEO of the NAACP, was going yes, to the sir. speech. So let's do this. Take your but what I'm saying is we hands with each other when we're all headed in the same direction. So let's figure out the ways to do this so we can be playing inside baseball, outside baseball, and work towards the same goal. That's the only issue that I have with it because I think that if, at any period of time, any energy that we're spending fighting each other is wasted energy because that energy has to be directed at people like Joe Manchin, people like Christian Cinema. because right now, even if we do end the filibuster for voting rights, we don't have 50 votes. We don't have Manchin. We don't have Cinema. We don't have Hester. We don't have other moderate, quote-unquote, Democrats. Democrats, we probably will end up with about 45 votes if you were to whip the vote right now. Ain't nobody, so ain't nobody, fight, ain't nobody yeah. fighting y'all. But what I'm saying, but Robert, Robert, what I'm saying, but Robert, Robert, what I'm saying is, just because you didn't get a call didn't mean folk were not talking <laughs> to everybody. I mean, literally, literally, on Monday, on Monday, they were on right. this show, on this show. I mean, it was all over social media that they were not going. They disseminated a letter on the weekend. It was in the New York Times on Sunday. They had a news conference on Monday. Scott? Yeah. They were all over. But 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 here's the broader issue, right? I got what you're saying, but the fact that you got black folks who are on the ground protesting the president and Harris going to DC, I'm sorry, going to Atlanta for a speech is worth deep, a, a deeper exploration. We've been saying it for months. We're going to protest outside, and there'll be people on the inside. But I'll be honest with you. 
You got to take care of your base. And the Democratic base is not happy, angry, disappointed. That's why they didn't go to the speech. I, that's what I'm saying. But 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 that's the issue. The fact that you can work against Manchin all you want, but the White House has allowed this anger and angst to build up against them because they put them in, in control and they're talking about the Build Back Better bill more than they're talking, and infrastructure, more than they're talking about voting rights. And if you don't pass the voting rights bill, the Democrats are going to lose the House and Senate and probably the White House, too. And it's like all of a sudden the bulb went off in Biden's head and said, hey, I'm losing a lot of black political capital here. Let me run to Atlanta and do a speech. And, you know, you can't fool the people, the real activists like that. They looked at that speech and said, oh, yeah, talk is cheap, basically. Talk and, is cheap. And that's Biden driving that negative narrative, not the activists. And here's the deal. Inze is still with us. Inze, all we heard last year, wait, wait, wait for act, wait for after the COVID bill, wait, wait uh, after the infrastructure that's bill, bullshit. wait to after BBB. And it was kind of like, all right, how much longer we got to wait? When, in fact, you don't even have a majority. Biden, you ain't even president without winning Georgia. Exactly. Hold up, hold up, hold up. Intake, you on mute. Apologies. My apologies. Can you hear me now? Yes, go ahead. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely true. Listen, I am... I grew up poor. I'm an immigrant in the Deep South, right? My mom cleaned offices, right? And my dad was a faith leader. So when I think about the, all the awesome stuff that's in Build Back Better, all the way that the Biden administration intends to expand the definition of infrastructure to include human capital and essential workers, like that speaks to me, my lived experience. You don't think I want that to become our reality? I do. And what I also know is that the if it's if you're looking at it in terms of the politics of it or if you're looking at it in terms of as a as a domestic policy issue there's nothing more important than expanding voting rights protections federal voting rights protections in this moment the republicans are not playing that in an, in the marketplace of ideas fewer and fewer people are buying what they are selling but the way that they've been able to hold on to power is by cheating is by rigging the rules and holding on to seats that they do not deserve, that they would not win in a fair fight. And so we have to go after that because we can't win on policy if we can't right. secure people's ability to participate in our elections. And we've been saying that. And when Build Back Better crashed and burned at the end of the year, that's when they finally realized what that we were right. Well, too little, too late. I well, 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 no, first of all, well, too first, little, too well, late. well, first of all, look, it's, it's not a question too little, too late, because you won't know if it's too late until they actually have a vote. That's the whole point. Well, it certainly uh, feels that way. Well, well, no, it's not too little, too late until you actually vote. Now, when we say we'll take a vote, and if it goes down 50, 48, or what the number is, then we actually know what's going on. So it ain't too little, too late until you actually see it. Look. What happens tomorrow, what, what Biden does, is, is going to be critically important. Going to the, going to the United States Senate. Uh, how is he going to rally those Democrats? How is he going to get in the face of Manchin and Sinema and say, look, I need y'all to step the hell up? That's the whole case. The House has already done their job. Now it's time for the Senate. Uh, when we talk about uh, the House, of course, Democrats, of course, they, they had 221 votes, a very small margin in the House. Now it's back at 222 after last night's election uh, uh, in Florida, where Sheila uh, uh, Sherfless McCormick uh, won a special election in South Florida, becoming the nominee, becoming the uh, first Democratic Haitian American in Congress. Uh, and not only that, 
she succeeds Congressman Elsie Hastings, who passed away due to pancreatic cancer uh, in April. She got 78% of the vote against Republican Jason Mariner. Uh, of course, joining us right now uh, is the Congresswoman-elect uh, uh, McCormick. Uh, glad to have you on the show. Uh, you're, you're walking into a very contentious uh, Washington, D.C. Uh, folks are demanding uh, Democrats uh, do their part. Look, you're in a state where they're using gerrymandering. They're passing voter suppression bills uh, in order to uh, change the outcome of what happened in 2020. Yes, we, I mean, right now what we see going on, we saw even during my election that we had white supremacists who were on our, our sacred lands at the African-American Library, um, at our EPAT Larkin Center. We had many people who were coming out there, the Proud Boys, who were trying to intimidate and actually exercise voter suppression in our district, which we've never seen before. So voting rights is so important right now. And the reason why I was even elected was to fight that and ensure that the black voice is being heard and that everything we ran on will be delivered. So it's so imperative right now that we can stand up in Congress and make sure we're delivering what the people need, which is economic relief, housing, and the ability to fight for our democracy by exercising their right to vote. Um, obviously... Uh, people want answers. They are holding Democrats responsible. They control the House. They control the Senate. Even though it's 50-50, one senator says no, then th that's it. Uh, you know, it collapses. Uh, they also hold the White House. Uh, are you also, uh, will you be saying to your uh, uh, new Democratic colleagues, the Democratic leadership, y'all had better pay attention because if you don't, Val Demings ain't going to have a shot against Senator Marco Rubio in Florida. You're going to be losing other places as well if you do not respond uh, and pass the kind of legislation that African-American voters want to see. Exactly. That's exactly the message we have for them, because even as I'm running, I see so many people who are coming over to me asking to help them. Families who are homeless. I saw a woman the other day who had four daughters who was living who was living in the park, and she was asking us to help her find housing. She had Section 8, but she couldn't find a Section 8 voucher, but she couldn't find a place where she could use it, because the housing prices are so astronomical. Right now, the community wants results. And if we cannot have the Democratic Party actually standing up and fighting for the community, acknowledging the community, especially black communities, it's going to be extremely hard for us to bring that percentage that Val Demings will need. And the unfortunate thing about it is that she's such a great candidate that right now we need the Democratic Party to step up and step up so strong so we can actually get that seat. And there's no reason for us not to have that seat. Right now, with the um, black voting power we have in my district who are coming out, with this election, we brought up record numbers of Haitian Americans and Caribbeans. We can actually take this election, but we can't do it by ourselves. We need people to stand up strong and actually fight for us and make sure even immigration policies are fair. Because we saw how the Haitians-Americans were treated wasn't the same as the ones who were at the border. And even when it comes to people of color, immigrants who are, are black and brown are not treated the same. So if we can't deliver, especially in Congress right now while we have the majority, it's going to be extremely hard to push everybody out and say, hey, take a chance because we can do it this time. Um, for uh, you, I, I would I take it that uh, Haiti is going to be uh, something that is important to you, representing those constituents there. Uh, you know, you have, your Cuban-Americans have significant power there in South Florida. They impact uh, Cuban-American policy. Uh, and the reality is having uh, a have the first, uh, first Haitian-American on the Democratic side is important to speaking to how America treats uh, that country. 
It is. It's extremely important, especially after we saw Haitians who were at the border being whipped, who were actually being yelled at. Just the treatment that we've been seeing when it comes to Haitian-American immigrants has been despicable. And I'm, I'll be honest with you, a lot of Democrats here were upset with the administration about it. But we believe that if we had a member in Congress who understood the pain that Haitian-Americans feel, pain that Haitian people feel, continuously having to suffer from these policies that are clearly racist and will have a huge stench of racism, because we've never been treated the same as our white counterparts. And it's something that we've been seeing going on continuously. Even in the Hispanic community, we see that when it comes to other nationalities. So it's right now the time for the administration and members of Congress to stand with me as we act and demand for equality when it comes to immigration, especially when it comes to a pathway to citizenship. All of these issues are so important, but it's compounded in my district when you're also facing the problem of being black in America. That's when you have a twofold problem, and that's what we're trying to do right now, to solve those problems and ensure that everyone knows that the Democratic Party is actually fighting for us in our time of need. My district is one of the districts that has the highest poverty rates in the entire country, and that's what makes it even more imperative that we're here to meet those needs. So uh, what also your, what's going to be your focus? My focus is economic development, especially when it comes to opportunities. Um, we see that build back better. And even in the infrastructure bill, there's a lot of opportunities there for Americans living in this country. However, we've seen the inconsistencies and the discrepancies when it comes to black and brown people even attaining contracts. As a businesswoman, I've seen that my whole entire life. We're always the subcontractors. We're never the prime. When it comes to women, how much we're being paid. As a single mother, I struggled to pay my bills because I couldn't get paid the same amount as my white counterparts. If we're going to start equality and talk about social justice, we have to confront the economic discrepancies when it comes to black and brown communities. And that starts now. All the money that's coming down from the federal government, we need to make sure that we're actually on the forefront and we're being systematically written into those contracts that we actually have a chance at it. The second thing that we're focusing on is health care. There are so many mental health issues in my district and so many people who, are, who don't have access to health care. So right now, as we're in the pandemic, they're still being forced to take care of themselves, figure it out. And unfortunately, a lot of people who, who need money, they're even willing to go to work be having COVID because they know they can't take time off. We cannot live in a, one of these a country that has so much money and we're still living under these terms. And the worst thing about it, if you look at zip code, it really is proportionate to the races that live in the zip codes who have access to jobs, who have access to health care. And that's why I keep going back to this social justice issue is not over. It's far from over. And the activists are right. We have to fight hard to bring it to the forefront. Because if we can't do it at a time like this, it will never be done. And everybody knows that. And every voter knows that. And that's why it's so crucial that we do this before the elections. All right, then. Uh, well, Congresswoman-elect uh, McCormick, we surely appreciate uh, having you here right here on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Look forward to uh, seeing you here in the nation's capital. Thank you so much, and thank you for having me. All right, thank you so very much, folks. We talked to uh, Senator Amy Klobuchar uh, about uh, the battle uh, in uh, Congress uh, as we speak. Uh, and so, uh, right now, let's hear what she had to say earlier today. Senator Amy Klobuchar, glad to have you back on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Let's hop right into it. Uh, big speech yesterday by President Joe Biden, Vice President Kamala Harris. Uh, he finally uh, comes out uh, and says that uh, uh, use in the filibuster to, for a carve-out for voting rights. The question is, how do you get it done when you have 67 Democrats who are waffling on the issue, too, who say they are adamant they're not going to do it?
Well, from my perspective, the focus is on two. Um, and um, and you know who they are, Center Mansion, Center Cinema, uh, who've been um, have public issues with this. And I'll just tell your viewers uh, what I've told them. Um, when President Biden said that time stopped, uh, when that bomb went off in burning Birmingham at that church and killed those little girls, and when he said time stopped when John Lewis was trying to cross that bridge and got beat up and bloodied, time stopped on January 6th. And this attack on our democracy started before that, and it continued after that. And this is our moment. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, this is just complete absurdity uh, that the Senate rules are static or they stay where they are. 160 times you've had various uh, votes uh, where it was not 60 votes, it was 51. That includes things like turning down arms sales, Roland, turning down arms sales. It includes things that are huge, like the reconciliation tax and spend bills. And that's how, of course, we got through that rescue plan earlier this year or how they got the Trump tax cuts done. So let's start with that. Big things, small things, numerous times. It was Senator Byrd himself of West Virginia who said, well, you need to change the rules when the circumstance change. And I think an all-out assault on our democracy is it. So that's what we're focused on right now is the continued negotiations, including one at uh, 8 this morning, a number of senators, including Senator Padilla and Warnock and many others, um, uh, negotiating uh, to get these guys to change the rules. There really is no other way. Now, you don't have to get rid of the filibuster. I would do that, but you don't have to do that. You can literally take some of the examples of history and make changes to the Senate rules so that we can actually have a debate. It's not even a question of history. How about recent history? Oh, last month, it was changed to raise the debt ceiling. Exactly. And both of them were open to doing it. I mean, you really, at some point, you've got to decide, as the president so beautifully pointed out yesterday and the vice president, you know, what sign are you on here? And uh, to me, it's really obvious. And you and your program have featured um, incredible experts and others uh, that'll tell you what's gone wrong with voting. But I like to throw out a few examples. Montana, fifth is where John Tester is. Good guy helping us out here, right? Moderate but firmly believes we have to change the filibuster rules, change his position on it after seeing that the Senate's broken. 15 years, they had same-day registration in that state. The last election in 2020, 8,000 people took advantage of that. Of course they did. They changed their address because they'd moved. They did other things. They just took it away because that was how they could target it with a few number of votes in Montana. It's how they could do the most damage. Or what we know they did in Georgia when you saw Warnock and Ossoff win in that last uh, month by registering 70,000 people, which was completely the right thing to do with our democracy. They took away that right in Georgia. So you can just march through the country and see overhauls of the election system. Usually you change election laws to make it easier to vote, like some states, Republicans and Democrats, secretaries of state did during the pandemic. This is a full-out effort to make it harder for people to vote. And that's where party aside, no matter where people are, left, right, conservative, liberal, we cannot have that in a democracy. You've got to make it easier for people to vote, not harder. Those are the impassioned arguments we're making to our colleagues, and they've got to decide. Well, here's the other thing that, that jumps out at us uh, on, on this particular issue here, that I, I don't understand how Democrats are blind. Senator Mitch McConnell changed the rules 
<laughs> to allow for a simple majority to get Supreme Court justices on for life. Now, all these Republicans say, oh, it was Senator Harry Reid who did it. No, Senator Harry Reid changed it for appointments and for lower courts, not for the Supreme Court. So no, any Republican who's whining about this, they changed the rules. McConnell did it nine days before an election. Unbelievable. And that's exactly what he did uh, with Amy Coney Barrett. That's exactly what he did when he rejected uh, Merrick Garland uh, being put on the uh, court in the last year of President Obama's term. Um, we know what they've been up to. It's very obvious. And we got to call them out on it. And I do like that you got to this because, of course, my focus right now being here is on our two colleagues to make the case to them, something President Biden will be doing tomorrow uh, when he addresses our caucus. Um, but the other piece of it has to be out there and strong is that every single Republican in the U.S. Senate and the president explained yesterday, Strom Thurmond was even um, for voting and making it easier to vote in the Voting Rights Act. Every single Republican right now, under the spell of Donald Trump, uh, the great cloud of him hanging over every single thing we do, um, has refused to make the changes necessary the Voting Rights Act, that's a John Lewis bill, have refused to acknowledge what is going on where they're making it harder and harder for people to vote. And as you know from that House investigation where only Liz Cheney and one other congressman have stood up, I've refused to acknowledge that we need to get to the root causes. This is serious stuff. And so it's really, really important that people understand uh, that Democratic Party with moderates like um, John Tester and Mark Warner are on our side here, right? We don't have some big divide in the party, Roland. Right now, we're working on two people, and it's not that they don't agree with the bill. Joe Manchin's name is on the bill. Co-sponsored. Hmm? Co-sponsored. Cinema yep. co-sponsored the bill. Yep. So it's not that. What is actually going on here is their belief in these Senate rules. And the more I look at it, the more ridiculous it is. You also have other examples of bills that they played a game to get them passed um, and by changing the rules, selective service one year, a bill about endangered species, um, a, a, the Bush tax cuts. It just goes on and on. Literally every few years you see a bill passed, some big, some small, where people went around that 60 vote requirement. And this is our democracy at stake. Also, I think uh, what jumps out at me uh, here is I'm not quite sure what reality that they're living in. Republicans are passing voter suppression bills in the states with simple majorities. And mm -hmm. it is abundantly clear. We are seeing right now in Tennessee, there are seven Republicans in the House from Tennessee, two Democrats. They want to change it where they want to break up Nashville into four pieces where there's only one Democrat in the whole state. They got a 7-2 majority. They want to have an 8-1 majority. We're, yesterday, a court in North Carolina said, well, let, let, let the gerrymandered uh, uh, maps uh, go forward. The Supreme Court already ruled, hey, we can't get involved in political gerrymandering. I don't understand what the holdouts are doing because they are guaranteeing, Republicans literally are on a path to guarantee they could pick up 15 to 20 seats before a single vote is cast. Mm -hmm. And the yeah, bill... Uh, the bill stops political gerrymandering. Yes, one of the things, and by the way, uh, Senator Manchin felt strongly about this, was to put standards forward so you do not allow for that partisan gerrymandering. It's actually not that hard to do. 
it gives the courts an actual standard that you can't do that. That is in the bill. Stopping that dark money that's been polluting our politics with the Disclose Act, uh, that is in the bill, something else he strongly supports. And then, of course, um, getting at all of this undemocratic stuff, and I mean like anti-democracy stuff that they're doing, by we now can guarantee uh, with this bill uh, the vote to vote by mail. Um, once it passed, we would be guaranteeing that people didn't have to get a witness or a notary. They need a witness right now in South Carolina, even if they've got COVID, um, a witness to get their application uh, for their ballot. Um, there have been bills introduced, like in Milwaukee, a bill was introduced to have only one drop-off ballot box in the entire city of Milwaukee. And they know they got a Democratic governor out there, so they didn't push that one, but they did pass other things that he had to veto. That is the kind of thing we're seeing across the country, concerted effort, as one North Carolina court said about a bill a few years ago, discrimination with surgical precision. And I just thought the president's words yesterday when he talked about how this is a moment where time stands still and everyone's going to remember what he did at this moment. They're going to remember it right away, but they're also going to remember it in the long term um, when they're standing in 10 hours in the sun and they got to go back to work uh, like happened in Georgia to a bunch of people. And so then they can't vote or what you've seen in Arizona or when they've got a sham audit that somehow overturns results or when they throw out an election board like they're trying to do in Wisconsin and then turn over the actual counting of the vote to a state legislature. I don't think anyone thought any of this possible a few years back. And then Donald well, Trump came into the world and then he decided that he didn't want to win an election by winning voters. He's going to change the voters. Find me the votes in Georgia. Remember that? Yep. Find me the votes, he said, after the election. So that's what's going on. And we got to be really honest about this because people got a lot going on. They've got we got the Omicron going on. They're dealing with schools. They're trying to uh, keep their kids strong. They've got all this stuff, getting a booster shot. A lot is on people's plate right now. They know what they got to do to keep their family safe. And you got to listen to the science. But it makes it even harder to realize if we want to move the way we need to move and get things done for this country and actually compete with the rest of the world, we've got to be a functioning democracy. That's what's always held us apart of so many other countries. Well, I'll tell you what, Senator Klobuchar, uh, when I see any of these Republicans and some of these holdout folks quoting Dr. King this weekend, uh, I'm going to say he spoke against the filibuster. So don't talk about his life if you don't want to follow what he believed in. Completely. That's the way to do it. Senator Klobuchar, right. we appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Bye. Take care. All right, folks, a little bit later in the show, we got some shits and giggles breaking down um, Mitch McConnell's uh, speech today on the Senate floor. Utterly hilarious. I can't wait till y'all actually uh, see that. Uh, folks, uh, 10 years ago, on November 19, 2011, in White Plains, New York, police were dispatched to the home of Kenneth Chamberlain Sr. after his medical alarm went off. Police tasered uh, and then fatally shot him. Everything that happened can be seen in the movie The Killing of Kenneth Chamberlain. Uh, of course, it stars Frankie Faison, uh, one of the producers of the movie. Also, uh, is Morgan Freeman. And joining us right now is Kenneth Chamberlain Jr. Glad to have you uh, on the show. Uh, Morgan, uh, it's been a while since I've seen you at the NAACP Image Awards. Glad to see you uh, looking well, looking prosperous. Uh, I think you're on mute. I Oh, yeah, I am. Thank you for having me. There we go. Go, Kenneth, Kenneth, go ahead and talk. I want to make sure we got you. 
Can you hear me? Now I got you. Morgan, go ahead and talk okay. about it. Make sure I got you. Yeah, here I am. There we go. All right, then. Okay, here we go. Um, <laughs> uh, glad to have uh, both of you. Um, Morgan, I want to start with you. Um, look, there, there are a lot of reasons, a lot of things that you could be doing, things you could be involved in. Why did you decide that, uh, you know what, um, I've got I've to be, be involved and be behind this film? Just look at recent history. Um, there have been in recent memory, mainly because of cell phones, I, cameras, that these killings of a black man by police have been documented. This one was documented also but it happened 10 years ago. The phenomenon uh, has been since uh, George Floyd, uh, that uh, all of these people have been brought to task or made to uh, account for. Uh, this is a story in which uh, the authorities have not been held accountable. And I think the only way that they would be held accountable is if this story is publicized, and uh, so that—that's primarily what we're trying to do. Um, Correct the real song wrong. One of the things, uh, Frankie, um, the role that art plays is not just uh, in terms of uh, retelling of a story, but it also uh, has the opportunity to spur people to action. Uh, we've seen previous documentaries uh, and movies do the exact same thing. What do you hope your portrayal, what do you hope this film does uh, to uh, make people aware of this story, but also uh, that, as Morgan just said, folks involved have not been held accountable? Well, I think that um, they have not been held accountable. And I think that the thing that I wish in this film is for people to understand and see the roles of police officers when they have um, confrontations with civilians. And that it's not just a bang, bang, I'm the police, you're the civilian, do as I say. but to find some sort of sensitivity and understanding and, and deal with each case as an individual case. And I hope that they see that, because otherwise you can cause great suffering and great pain and anxiety, as you see Kenneth Chamberlain experiencing for the last 90 minutes of his life. Um, Kenneth Chamberlain, Jr., I started this show off with the story out of North Carolina. Uh, where a black man, uh, where this North Carolina off-duty deputy shot and killed him, claiming that he uh, jumped on his vehicle uh, in traffic. Um, folks are demanding answers there. We've done numerous stories. Uh, we were down in Elizabeth City, North Carolina, covering the protests there of a brother who was shot and killed by, 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 by SWAT officers. We've done another, it was a, we, we, matter of fact, while we were there, we met uh, the family of another young man uh, who was shot and killed by cops at a funeral when he was trying to protect others, uh, and that case uh, hasn't been resolved. Yet you hear folks say, well, look, this is really not that major, major of a deal. 
No, justice is justice. Uh, I, well, I agree with you, and I can just say from, from my perspective, I mean, we have 10 years now, and there hasn't been any justice, so I actually stopped saying it. I now ask for accountability because I say that when you talk about justice, justice should be immediate and not carried out later. And this is my argument around the whole statement when people say, you know, justice delayed is not justice denied, but I could argue that. So we push for accountability and we push for account, uh, culture of accountability, even in law enforcement, if we're going to try to build trust between uh, the police and the community. But far too many times we hear the same thing over and over again. And that is, after an exhaustive investigation, the grand jury has determined that there's not sufficient enough evidence to charge the officer in the killing of, and then you add the name at the end. Um, I remember this story vividly, but for the folks who do not know the details, just share with us uh, exactly what happened to your father a decade ago. Well, on November 19, 2011, my father, who uh, suffered from chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, a heart condition, and bipolar disorder inadvertently triggered his life aid pendant that he wore around his neck. The monitoring station attempted to contact him. They were not successful. They contacted the White Plains Police Department, who are first responders. They arrived at my father's apartment in an area they can, that they consider low income but high crime. Uh, they knocked on his door. He came to the door. He said he was okay and that he didn't call them, but that wasn't enough. So for over 90 minutes, they would bang on the door, yell at him, scream at him, mock his military service. At one point, he says, I'm telling you I'm okay, and an officer could be heard using the N-word and an expletive. They eventually take the door off his hinges, fire electronic taser at him, beanbag shotgun four times, and then they shoot him and killing him, alleging that he posed an imminent threat to life and well-being. Uh, Morgan, as I sat there and listened to uh, Kenneth to, to give us those details, uh, I thought back to Kojima Powell, young brother who was shot and killed by cops in St. Louis not long after Michael Brown was killed. It was 16 seconds, 16 seconds from when officers arrived on the scene with the door open to where the first shots rang out. They said he was charging at them with a knife when they could have easily just stepped behind the car, and then he's alive. In this case here, my God, the man is telling you I'm fine. 90 minutes and you take the hinges off, you storm in and, and, and you shoot and kill. Seriously, it, 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 that's the thing that is that drives black folks so crazy is that even when we're in our home, we aren't safe. Well, <laughs> That's, that is just one of the truths, uh, Roland. Uh, in this case, uh, they also, uh, police have been contacted by the uh, 911 dispatcher and, and, to and told uh, that it was a mistake, uh, it was an unnecessary call, and they should stand down. Their argument, however, was in court that uh, was called, they have an obligation to uh, check out the call, to investigate, to see with their own eyes. Uh, that's, that's how they got away with it in court, in a way, I think. Am I right, Kenneth? 
Well, yeah, I mean, now you're talking about the whole argument around qualified immunity, which is supposed to protect officers from frivolous lawsuits. But this is, you know, far from that. Um, we did lose the original decision in court, but the Second Circuit Court of Appeals actually restored uh, some of uh, the original uh, rulings, kicked it back. And I keep telling people one of the more powerful statements with that is that the Second Circuit said that instead of treating Kenneth Chamberlain or Mr. Chamberlain like a critically ill patient, you treated him like a criminal suspect. So we're back in court now. And we're, we're hoping for a different type of decision now. And the current Westchester County District Attorney is also reviewing the case. And that point right there, Frankie, is also what we're dealing with. Uh, people are they're saying, oh, Democrats, you want to defund the police, when actually what people are saying is stop sending police, people who are trained to, frankly, shoot and kill people, uh, to situations that might require mental health experts, that might require medical experts. Uh, if you sent, if you sent uh, let's say, uh, a, a, a wellness officer, if you will, but who wasn't armed with a gun, Kenneth Chamberlain Sr. doesn't get killed at 68 years old. I agree 100%, and I'm often thinking um, in conversations I've had about this film and this character, I'm often thinking that if... Uh, the police, if they were, if they tried any kind of a different angle at trying to get inside this house and see this man, rather than brute force, you would have a different outcome. If they had a, maybe employed his um, niece or anybody in the hall to say, maybe you can go up and speak to him, or 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 if they tried to say to even to Kenneth Chamberlain. All right, let's take five minutes here. Let's think about this situation. Take a softer approach. But they didn't. They took, they, from the moment that they knocked on that door, it was bam, 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 slam, we getting in, I want you to open the door. And they had no consideration or no training or understanding as how they could use some other, some other resource or some other different kind of approach in trying to get into this home. And that breaks my heart because this should not have ended the way that it ended. Uh, and even once they got inside the home, you got six, five, six police officers against one man. Old man. You're still saying you have to... A 68-year-old man, a 20-year... Um, a, a veteran of the Marines and a 20-year corrections right. officer. Right. So it's, uh, you know, you, you, do, you, you, you do the math. You, you know, you weigh them against him, and you know that it, it, was, not, it was not necessary. Indeed. I can't think of any kind of scenario unless he had a gun, a shotgun, a, right. a, you know, a rifle or something like that. That's different. So a absolutely. it breaks my heart to think about it. I just... Well, I've, I've had to interview a lot of mothers and fathers and family members in similar situations, and it's, it's unfortunate that we have to do a lot of these stories. Folks, this is the film poster, The Killing of Kenneth Chamberlain. Kenneth Chamberlain accidentally triggered his medical alert pendant at 5.22 a.m. By 7 a.m., he was dead. Frankie Faison stars as uh, Kenneth Chamberlain. Uh, before I let, the, let you go, uh, I would be remiss... Uh, to ask you, Morgan, and ask you, Frankie, uh, both of you, just to simply uh, share your thoughts about the loss of uh, the great Sidney Poitier. Uh, Sidney and I were friends. Uh, 
became friends some years ago. It always been uh, my beacon in life. Uh, I wanted to be an actor, and when I saw him in the movies, I knew that I could, I could be an actor. Uh, and I've just sort of tried to pattern my life after him. Uh, I'm. I don't feel a loss at his death because he lived a full life. I just want to, I want to do that too. Frankie. And I want to just say that, uh, like Morgan said, he saw him and he wanted to be an actor and he thought that that was opening the gateways so that he could do it. And I felt the same way coming up, you know, a little bit behind Morgan. And I saw Sidney Poitier and the man carried himself with such dignity and 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 self-esteem and also he was such a talented talented man every time you saw him you would believe everything that he says and does on that screen and he was a force to be reckoned with and without him i mean i i don't know if i would be where i am today i i follow i too wanted to be like Sidney Poitier. I wanted people to look at me and, and think of me and think of me as a person who could be a role model or someone who they who really glorifies and dignifies the art of acting and as a human being. And yeah. I think that he had both. So Well I certainly And I do and I like Morgan, I celebrate his life. Yes, indeed. You know, uh, yeah, now nah, that that there you go. Well that's, that's well, that's why on Friday we did, we did a whole two-hour tribute uh, to him. We had uh, some great actors, Glenn Turman uh, and so many others, Blair Underwood, who joined us to celebrate his life. Um, you know, other people, other news outlets just sort of did a three- or four-minute package. I said, no, nah, that brother deserves a little bit longer. So uh, <laughs> that's why we did that, and that's why we have this show, uh, because we get to, uh, we, we, because I own it, we ain't got to ask nobody permission what we talk about and who we talk to. So that's why we have y'all on. So uh, I appreciate uh, y'all coming on, folks. You can check out The Killing of Kenneth Chamberlain on HBO Max. Uh, Kenneth Chamberlain Jr., thank you so very much for joining us. Uh, thank you. Again, uh, we are sorry for the loss uh, of your father in these tragic circumstances, and hopefully this film will bring about some justice. Morgan Freeman, always uh, good to see you. Uh, we thank you and appreciate, love your work and all that you do as well. Uh, and Frankie, thank you so much uh, as well who will go down in film history uh, with uh, great movie lines from Coming to America. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all take uh, care. Yeah. Thank All you. right. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, Have you back. Great to see you guys. Great to see you guys, too. All right, folks, so we're going to go to a break. We come back, more Roller Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. we got lots more to talk about, deconstruct Mitch McConnell. Also, I'm going to pop into the birthday celebration uh, for Baltimore State's Attorney Marilyn Mosby uh, to wish her congratulations. Uh, and again, man, lots more we got to cover, including crazy-ass white people. A school board member in Texas, he going to blame black teachers for dropout rates of black kids? Yeah, I'll be back.
How y'all doing? It's your favorite funny girl, Amanda Seals. Hi, I'm Anthony Brown from Anthony Brown and Group Therapy. Lana Well, and you are watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. All right, folks. Um, Senator Mitch McConnell, he wasn't happy at all with what President Joe Biden had to say. So today on the Senate floor, uh, the grave digger himself, uh, the crypt keeper, uh, he chose to uh, weigh in. We're going to deconstruct. This is pure comedy, y'all. So just, just go ahead and roll it. Twelve months ago, a newly inaugurated President Biden stood on the west front of the Capitol, and here's what he had to say. My whole soul is in this, bringing America together, uniting our people, and uniting our nation. Yesterday, that very same man delivered a deliberately divisive speech that was designed to pull our country further apart. Twelve months ago, this president said we should see each other not as adversaries, but as neighbors. Yesterday, he called <clears throat> millions of Americans his domestic enemies. Twelve months ago, the president called on Americans to join forces, stop the shouting, lower the temperature. But yesterday, he shouted that if you disagree with him, you're George Wallace. George Wallace. If you don't pass the laws he wants, you're Bull Connor. And if you oppose giving Democrats untrammeled one-party control of the country, well, you're Jefferson Davis. Twelve months ago, this president said disagreement must not lead to disunion. Ah, but yesterday he invoked the bloody disunion of the Civil War, the Civil War, to demonize Americans who disagree with him. He compared, listen to this, a bipartisan majority of senators to literal traitors. How profoundly, profoundly unpresidential. Look, I've Profi known... Guys, profoundly unpresidential, Scott? Hmm, somebody upset. You on mute. Damn. Okay. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to accept Mitch McConnell for being uh, objectionable or disillusioned or angry about the president's remarks. As he was talking, I was thinking about how uh, the majority of the Republicans in the House who don't support the January 6th commission, I think about McConnell who voted not to impeach Donald Trump, but then suggested that DOJ should prosecute Donald Trump if he did anything wrong. Um, the January 6th commission who wants to get to the bottom of an insurrection that the Republicans, many of them, have denied that this was an insurrection or domestic terrorism. And then the complete hypocrisy of Mitch McConnell 
uh, in regard to Biden, who has tried to build one nation, has argued unity, and yet at every juncture, the Republicans have stifled him, including voting rights, including his buyback, better America. But more importantly, let's not forget that the infrastructure bill that was passed was the Republican version of infrastructure. No unity there between the Democrats and Republicans. The Democrats tipped what they could get. And then the Republican legislatures across this country who are making it harder to vote uh, than easier to vote. And they're making it harder to vote because they need to reduce the number of people voting because that's how they win. And if they reduce the ability to vote, then they take over the country. Well, that's why that's, why that's so funny. Like, oh, no, they're trying to do this to take over the country. Yeah. I'm like, uh, yeah. have you seen the bills? <laughs> Hold on one second. For more comedy, press play. Liked and personally respected Joe Biden for many years. I did not recognize the man at the podium yesterday. America. Well, I, I, pause. Come on. Uh, well, Monique, I'm sure did nobody recognize punk-ass McConnell for the last four years of Trump? Of stealing yeah. Supreme Court justice. Uh, hey, Scott, I said Monique. <laughs> I wasn't done. Well, guess okay. what? You are done. Monique, go. Go show. But the fact of the matter is, that is Joe Biden. So that's the part that's absurd about what uh, Mitch McConnell is saying he he knows the Joe Biden that led uh, Justice Committee in the Senate. He knows the Joe Biden that used to bang on the desk and have his head sweating and look like he was about to start spinning um, around in his chair. So to to say that he does not get animated, to say that he's not passionate about his ideas uh, is is ridiculous. The problem is that he has reverted to that Joe Biden because uh, of the complete and total shutdown and made-up minds of the Trump party to not work on anything. So he is in the corner, they put him in, and Joe Biden knows how to fight. And that's what he did yesterday. It's game on. All right, right. Play, play a little bit more of the crypt of the crypt keeper. Not give President Biden a mandate for very much. He got a tied Senate, negative coattails in the House, the narrowest majorities in over a century. Robert, I thought Republicans said winning has consequences. I thought they said. Well, you know, the I, I thought they said. When you win, you get to lead. That, 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 I, I, wasn't that how they operated in 2016? That was indeed. And I think what we have to remember is think back to what the Republican Party used to be. Uh, when I first got involved in civil rights, it was uh, with Janice Mathis organizing the March for the Reauthorization of Voting Rights Act back in 2004. And eventually we had a Rose Garden signing ceremony with the Bush administration after the voting rights reauthorization passed 99 to nothing with a voice vote in the Senate. Now here we are, you know, 14 years uh, or 16 years later, that you have to suspend the filibuster rules because the Republican Party has become 
become so entrenched, so in, uh, intransigent, uh, so uh, partisan that you can't get a single Republican to cross party lines to support that exact same legislation's reauthorization. And that's before you even get to the 40 People Act or for the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act or anything else. What Mitch McConnell knows is the simple math of America. They are no longer a majority party. They are no longer the second majority party in America right now. You have the Democratic Party followed by independents, followed by Republicans coming in third at 28% of the American people supporting their agenda. The 50 Republican senators represent 41 million fewer Americans than the 50 Democratic senators. In the House of Representatives, they represent something like 4 million fewer Americans than the, uh, the Democrats in the House of Representatives. It's been 17 years since a Republican has won the popular vote in a presidential election, and that was the only time they've won in the last 32 years since George H.W. Bush in 1988. So what they understand is if you give every American the protected right to vote, they won't be able to get elected at any level of American politics. That's why they're standing in the way of voting rights. That's why they're fighting against this. This is why you can't get a single Republican to cross party lines, because if you had a protected right to vote, if they weren't able to cheat, they will, their party will be extinct tomorrow, and that's why they will take this to the grave, this fight against the right to vote. Uh, all right, then. Actually, so y'all pause one second. Uh, let's do this here. Uh, let's... Um, so right now, I was supposed to do this about 10 minutes ago. Uh, let's go live to... Right now, Marilyn Mosby has a uh, birthday party that's going on right now. Uh, can she hear me? Marilyn, can you hear me? Can y'all can y'all hear me? We can hear you rolling. All right, uh, y'all want to pull me up? Yeah. Come on, boo. Quick, let's come right, to right him now. now. We want to come right, to him right, now. All right, Marilyn, how you doing? Good. Thank you for coming on, Roland. Uh, so, so we're actually, we're actually uh, live, live on my, on my show, show right now. Right now. So we, so actually we actually have, have this feed, feed uh, broadcast on my show. Huh? huh? I said this black man is doing big things. We got to support you. Uh, so, uh, that's, so that's yeah, that's exactly what exactly, exactly what we're doing. doing. Things things, things are, are going are going quite well. well. I just wanted to wish you a happy, happy birthday. birthay. Uh, of course, y'all having a great time. You having a virtual party. I see my man Kevin Lyles there. I see Shalonda Stokes and Liz Smith and so many others. I saw Anthony Anderson earlier. Ben Crump. We had him at the top of the show. And so I got Scott Bolden on the show as well. But we we muted his mic. He be holding me down. We got to represent for Scott. We got to represent. But we muted him. Talk too damn much. <laughs> so no, his, his microphone's on me. Monique, Monique Presley's Presley here. here. Uh, uh, Robert Pacillo's here as well. well. So uh, I want uh, folks to certainly uh, support. Happy what birthday, you do. sis! Happy birthday! <laughs> So they all, well, all shout me happy birthday. birthday. I want everybody, everybody to, of course, support, support uh, Marilyn and what she's doing. She's running for re-election. Uh, and look, we've always had her back. Uh, and folks are going after folks like her and the brother Alvin Bragg in New York and all these other DAs. But it's good to have sensible people operating as district attorney. And so, again, happy birthday. Enjoy the party. And so I'll try to pop in after we get done with the show. But I got to get back to work. Thank you. I appreciate you, Roland. I appreciate, I appreciate it. it. you. We got to represent for this brother. We got y'all better stream him. Okay, my y'all, y'all, we'll stream, 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 stream. Thank you. Thank you. That's right. Do Keep it. Snap. <laughs> All right then. Well, look, y'all go back to the party. I see the DJ is ready. Uh, Kevin Lyles, return a brother's phone call. <laughs> oh, he's going to snap his finger at you if you don't return his phone call. Well, I, 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 I love you, brother. Well, he been. I'm waiting to get waiting to get Kevin back on the golf course. 
Uh-oh. 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 Deal. Deal. <laughs> Deal. All right. I'll be waiting. You too, Shalanda Stokes. All right, Marilyn, take care. Thank you. Love you, Roland. Love you as well. Thanks a lot. Uh, all right, y'all. See, we multitask on the show here. All right, let's get back to our conversation. Here's more of the Crip Creep, Crip Keeper, Mitch McConnell. The president did not get a mandate to transform America or reshape society. But he did arguably get a mandate to do just one central thing that he campaigned on. Here's what that was. Bridge a divided country, lower the temperature, dial down the perpetual air of crisis in our politics. That is the one central promise that Joe Biden made. It is the one job citizens actually hired him to do. It is the one project that would have actually been consistent, consistent with the Congress, the voters elected. Uh, but President Biden has chosen to fail his own test. The president's rant, rant yesterday was incoherent, incorrect, and beneath his office. He used the phrase this is Jim hilarious Crow listening to this whiner. Uh, he, he was elected to bring the country together. This is the same man, Scott, where the House passed 400 bills and he wouldn't even take them up. This is the man who actually kissed Donald Trump's ass so much he probably was leading in blackface. Give me a break. <laughs> he, he's thinking that he's offended by Biden, and yet he's the nemesis and the enemy of unity and, and dialing down the political rhetoric. And the one who was driving the political rhetoric up was Donald Trump, as you said. I mean, the, the bringing the country together, if there's one thing that we can bring the country together on, it's got to be January 6th and the loss of police officers, the loss of life, and the injury of 140 police officers on an attack on the Capitol and the Republican Party He's a Senate majority leader. We've got Republicans on the House side who won't cooperate, who won't even show up to a vigil to recognize the insurrection and honor those who gave their lives, trying to protect them. Listen to that. They were trying to protect them, and they won't even acknowledge or show up for an anniversary vigil or program and will not cooperate with the commission Probably because the commission's going to find out how deeply our Republican elected officials were tied up in the lead into that resurrection and the goals and objectives, including Donald Trump. And yet he's offended because voting rights cannot, we can't bring the country together on voting rights. He's offended that he, that, that, that Biden chastised the Republicans about this issue. He's feigning being offended. He actually loves being the enemy and the nemesis against unifying this country and unifying the Republicans and the de Democrats. Monique, my position is very simple. I ain't taking no speeches from nobody who defended Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I mean, he did until he didn't. 
uh, but that doesn't matter. He's also, he's not correct. Uh, the the one uh, mandate, if there, if there was one mandate <coughs> for President Biden, uh, the first one for many voters was that he would be someone other than Donald J. Trump. So he's, he's meeting that mandate. And then any other mandates behind that came from the people who actually got him elected. So, of course, I'm first talking about black women. Uh, I'm talking about black people generally. I'm talking about people of color. I'm talking about uh, the goodwill of uh, people who are progressive, who are liberal-leaning. I'm talking about those who cared about voting rights and knew that they would expect him to do something about it, those who marched in streets for police reform for justice in policing and still expect for him to do something about it. I mean, people who cared about this pandemic and expected and are appreciating him having a, an approach that follows the science and is attempting to do something about that. People who appreciate infrastructure work and who appreciate money in their pockets. Those are the things that we voted for him to do. And that's why he's up there in Georgia, like yesterday, saying, I understand you brought me here, and I intend to do something about it. So I, I don't pay any attention necessarily um, to Mitch McConnell's ongoing uh, power grab uh, to, to me. As I've said many times on this show, he's the real devil. He's the real mm -hmm. Lucifer. He's the real mm -hmm. monster. He's the real dictator. He's, he's the one with, with darkness where there should be a heart. He does not care about the citizens of this country. He cares about holding on to power for power's sake, and he is not at all concerned about getting anything done. He's proven that over and over again. This was the man who said his one job, right, right. his one mandate during the Obama administration was to ensure that he didn't get right. anything done. Right. Here's a whole... So he's, he's okay, okay. wrong. He's wrong on all counts. Okay, damn. How long will your ass gonna be? You getting like Scott. <laughs> I got something else to say, too. Nah, damn. I didn't get a lot... No, no, no. Hey, 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 hey. Hey, that's your janky... That's your janky-ass cricket uh, Wi-Fi at your house. Well, just... <laughs> A lot to say. Don't, don't be coming on an hour late, then your ass want to catch up. Nope. <laughs> you missed your shot. Well, you miss your, your damn shot. Rob, Rob, Robert, Robert, here's the thing. Right ahead, Robert, uh, Robert, Robert uh, Scott, be quiet. Robert, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing for me. I'm so sick of this bullshit mandate <laughs> stuff. I mean, listen. Oh, oh, you have a mandate. Son of a bitch, we won. No, 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 let me tell you something. If you win, <laughs> if you win, if you win the World Series four to three, if you win the World Series four games to three, <coughs> your ass won. It's the same <laughs> shit as if you won 4-0 to 4-3. If your ass <laughs> win the Super Bowl by a point or 30 points, they call you world champions. But this bullshit about mandate, uh, you don't have a mandate. Yeah, we had a mandate, 270, bitch. That's the mandate. The mandate is 270. Is bitch some political speech? And I need people to walk like that, to sit here and say, look, Trump was like, y'all kiss my ass, we won. That's true. McConnell was like, yep, we won. He told 10 Democrats, I don't want to hear y'all mouth, we won. Matter of fact, 
I just pulled a story up. Senator Marsha Blackburn got an attitude because um, the Democrats, Biden has, a, has appointed uh, a brother to the uh, judicial nomination out of Tennessee. Blackburn, like, well, she, in her feelings, because uh, the White House did not uh, did not engage in sufficient... They didn't sufficiently seek out the opinion uh, of uh, her and the other dude, the U.S. senator from uh, Tennessee. And now they're trying to play games because they say... Here she's saying... First of all, she's saying this brother, Andre Mathis, has a rap sheet for speeding. One was five miles over the limit for 10 years ago. <laughs> okay? And then they called it insulting. Now, this is what Dick Durbin said. Dick Durbin said, well, when y'all lasses we in charge, y'all didn't give nobody the blue slip, so all we gonna do is do what y'all did. So he, so then Durbin, being nice, apologizes, saying, well, uh, they should have given them, it was a mistake at the Senate that did not receive those blue forms. Man, I'm sick and tired of Democrats apologizing to these punk-ass Republicans. Senator Tom Cotton or Durbin, you need to apologize for interrupting me in a hearing. And then Durbin went ahead and did it so they can release the appointees. And so I get why he did it. But this is, this is where Democrats should say, hey, your punk ass is lost. We won. And spoils go to the victors. Sit your ass down. Well, look, Roland, all this idea of the mandate. Uh, Donald Trump didn't win the popular vote. Neither did George H.W. Bush. Boom! Barack Obama had a mandate from the Boom! people. Did Republicans get on board with Obamacare because he had a mandate? No. So it's complete malarkey. And I'm going to agree with the 45th president of the United States, Donald John Trump, when he said on NPR on Tuesday, Mitch McConnell is a loser. And I think that's the one thing that we can say in bipartisan agreement that Donald Trump is right about. Mitch McConnell is a loser. And because of that, he knows he does not have the support of his caucus. The MAGA wing of that party is who's in charge of that party. Mitch McConnell is a vassal uh, to the uh, to that MAGA wing of the party. So he can stand there and make all the speeches that he... It's almost like a relationship. You ever seen a dude who talked big talk about what he's going to do and what he's really going to do, but then when he's around his wife, he shut up? Because he, she's the one who got the real hands in the relationship. So Mitch McConnell you can talk all he wants, but Are we you know. No, no, hey, that Monique, ain't he talking. No, no, ain't Stop interrupting. Hey, hey, what is Malar? Hey, 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 he talking. Go, Robert, finish. Robert, Look, finish. Robert, the, finish. The, you always let him talk. Mitch knows. Mitch McConnell knows he does not have any real hands in the Republican Party, so he tries to make these statements to act like he's doing something. But in reality, Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley and those crazy insurrectionist senators and Donald Trump right. are the ones who control the Republican Party, and that's why he's trying to make himself relevant. Before I... I've got to go to a break, uh, and so I'm just going to end it with this. Uh, Senator Mitch McConnell... All I, and to all the Republicans out there whining about Biden's speech yesterday, uh, evoking uh, the segregationists at Jeff Davis, uh, I'm just going to let Della Reese say all <laughs> I need to say uh, to all of y'all. That's right. This is the Chase venue, so let's support that. It's Kids 6 Lafayette Avenue, and we're going to be rolling at 8 o'clock. Thank you, Shalonda, and everybody else for trying to get me off. Thank you, Larry. All Thank right, you. Love y'all. Peace out.
Love you. Uh, I had I had the uh, the Zoom going of the of the Mary <laughs> thing. Y'all didn't y'all didn't sufficiently <laughs> hear that. So I just want y'all to hear it exactly how I feel about Senator Mitch McConnell and Ted Cruz and Marsha Blackburn Burn and the rest of y'all. Go. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Kiss my entire ass. You're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black, the Black Star Network. Oh, God. <laughs> wow. struggle for civil rights is something grown-ups did. I feel that the generations before us have offered a, a lot of instruction. Organizing is really one of the only things that gives me the sanity and makes me feel purposeful. When Emmett Till was murdered, yeah. that's what attracted our attention. I'm Chrisette Michelle. Hi, I'm Chaley Rose, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. Uh, Lizette Patch was last seen on December 22nd, 2021 in Bakersfield, California. The 15-year-old is 5 feet tall, weighs 110 pounds, and black hair and brown eyes. If you have any information, call the Bakersfield Police Department at 661-327-7111. 661 All right, folks, remember the story that we did last week about the black man in Louisiana. 47 years he has spent in prison. The day he was set to be paroled, he was arrested at the prison gates for parole violation, which is kind of hard to violate your parole when you are actually in prison. Well, he's now out. How did that happen? It's attorney Thomas Frampton uh, rejoins us again. Thomas, glad to have you back at Roller Martin Unfiltered. Okay, he's out? What happened? He's out. We won. Uh... So after 47 years and about nine extra months of essentially being kidnapped by the state of Louisiana, uh, uh, shortly after appearing on your show, 
the state of Louisiana caved entirely, uh, gave him everything that he uh, has been asking for, namely his freedom. Uh, and uh, Bobby is home now. So all of that back and forth, all of that, I mean, forcing him uh, to go back in, doing all they can, and what, they finally came to the conclusion, yeah, he needs to go home. So, I, I mean, we already won in court several times uh, by the time uh, I was with you last. Uh, and uh, the most recent judge we had been in front of uh, asked the, the lawyers for the state of Louisiana very candidly, um, is there an ongoing criminal conspiracy to violate uh, Bobby Sneed's rights? Uh, and I think at a certain point, the publicity, the attention, uh, and, you know, actually having threats of criminal sanctions for the government officials responsible uh, reached the point where uh, they felt like they just had to surrender. So that's what happened. And, and you know, at least in this case, uh, we have won, though it's kind of hard to talk about what happened to Bobby as a victory in any sense, right? It shouldn't have to take uh, sort of the, the ordeal that we've gone through. It shouldn't have to take, at one point, there were 11 different taxpayer-funded lawyers for the state of Louisiana fighting to keep this man in prison. Um, so, so, you know, it's not like anyone is walking away feeling good about this story, although we're, of course, grateful that, that Bobby is finally home. So, where, where is he? Uh, is he is he still in Louisiana? Is he still is, is he is he is he paroled? Does he have to check in? Is or is he completely free? He's going to be on parole. Uh, his original sentence was going to require parole for the rest of his life, anyways. So he is back to where he should have been on March 29th. On March 29th, uh, he was scheduled to be released on parole. And they just didn't do it. They kept him kidnapped. Uh, and so he is now back on parole. Uh, he is in Baton Rouge. Uh, and he is out of the immediate custody of any uh, Louisiana prison or jail official. Uh, and that's the most important thing. So he's working on rebuilding his life now. You know, for the last 40 some odd days, uh, prison authorities in Angola lost his teeth. Uh, he didn't have his dentures. He's been toothless ever since then. Uh, so, you know, he needs to get a dentist appointment. Uh, he, uh, when he thought he was being released on December 10th, uh, before they rearrested him, he gave all of his personal property to other incarcerated people, right? He figured they would need it more than he would. Uh, so he literally came out of prison with absolutely nothing, um, no, no property uh, after 47 years. So, so he's working on, you know, rebuilding his life now, which is... It's uh, uh, definitely going to be a hard road to hoe. Uh, how old is Bobby? Uh, he had his 75th birthday uh, in December, if I'm, if I'm doing this right. Uh, so he has spent uh, nearly two-thirds of his life uh, in cages uh, and on a, a prison plantation, uh, Louisiana State Penitentiary, better known as Angola. Uh, so, so, you know, he uh, is going to take some getting used to in the free world. When I, uh, I spoke with my co-counsel who picked him up uh, from the jail release and, and basic things like uh, uh, the car talking that gave directions uh, as they drove to Baton Rouge 
uh, were bizarre to him, right? Seatbelts uh, in a car, right? These things did not exist in the 1970s uh, when Bobby was first arrested. Uh, so it's going to be it's going to be a process, but we're grateful that he's um, you know gets to live uh, his final years uh, with his family and and with his uh, you know with other free people. Um, have you guys set up? Some people are asking on my Facebook page, a YouTube channel, and the Black Star Network channel. People are asking, uh, have y'all set up a GoFundMe page because people would like to uh, offer some support for him uh, to help him out now that he's free. I mean, that's extraordinary, and thank you. Uh, I, we, as of uh, a little while ago, set up um, a uh, some other supporters uh, of Bobby set up a GoFundMe. So if you search on GoFundMe for Bobby Sneed, I think if you uh, 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 search on Google for uh, help Bobby Sneed heal, uh, you will find it. Uh, 100% of anything that gets donated will go to uh, Bobby Sneed. So uh, uh, if, if your viewers are inclined to help out, it would be greatly appreciated. He's also going to be working with a fantastic organization based in Baton Rouge called the Louisiana Parole Project that helps people come home from prison. Uh, and so that's that's a great organization for folks to check out if they if they uh, are so inclined. Uh, and so we're going to pull we're going to uh, pull that up. How long how long uh, have you worked on this case? So I've been working on this case since uh, sort of day one, uh, which was back in March. So Bobby was minutes or days away from his parole release, uh, and we got word that he had uh, collapsed, been taken to a hospital, uh, and then shortly after got this word that they were going to try to strip him of his parole after all this time. Uh, so, you know, since March, we've been asking the state of Louisiana to do the right thing. Uh, if they cared about the Constitution, they would have released him when we asked on March 29th. Uh, if they cared about uh, uh, Bobby supposedly needing drug treatment, they would have given him some over the past uh, uh, nine months. And if they even cared about the taxpayers' uh, 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 funds, uh, we offered back on December 10th when it looked like they were going to try to pull this rearrest nonsense. We said, look, we'll, we'll waive Bobby's civil rights claims. Uh, you know, I know you're worried about getting sued. We'll waive all of that if you just follow the law. And they said no then. So uh, it wasn't until a federal judge started suggesting that someone from the state of Louisiana might go to jail that they released him uh, and, and uh, you know, gave us what, what we've been asking for from day one, which is just follow the law and let Bobby go out on parole. All right, then. Uh, so we have the GoFundMe up, folks. It's on my, uh, on my, I have it up right here. Uh, I would just uh, have one recommendation. Uh, y'all need to raise the amount, 5000 That's a little low. So, Thomas, y'all might want to take it up to about 25000 I think you're probably going to hit that. So I'm just saying. I, I, I will pass that along. <laughs> I appreciate it. Uh, it's great to see. This is just uh, set up a few moments ago. So it's great that people are already chipping in. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's t it, 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 it shouldn't be on us, right? It shouldn't be on your viewers to make Bobby whole, to support him. Uh, I, that really, uh, you know, there, there is a debt to be paid from the state of Louisiana. And it's, it's, it's still shocking. I mean, at very least, uh, an apology, right? The Louisiana Supreme Court already said that y'all violated the 14th Amendment, that Bobby was kidnapped for nine months. Uh, and, and, you know, we, we could start with saying, hey, we, we screwed up. Um, 
shockingly that hasn't been forthcoming, but, but we'll, um, you know, we're going to keep pushing and, and make sure that there's some accountability here. Uh, but in the meanwhile, anything that your viewers can do to help Bobby would, would go a long way and be greatly appreciated. All right, then. Thomas Frampton, attorney, we really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Uh, th th these are the, s the stories that, again, R Robert, Scott, Monet, hey, that, thank you. That, we really we, appreciate that we, you know, dealing with, and, and the fact that the man uh, clearly should have been free, they arrested him at the gate. This man was leaving prison, Robert, leaving prison, and they went, oh, you've been violating your parole. How the hell do you violate your parole and you're still in prison? Look, Roland, I would love for this to be an isolated case and an isolated incident, uh, mm. but this happens often. I've had clients where uh, suddenly the court system has lost their paperwork, so their release date changes from 2020 to 2024 uh, in the system. There's nothing that anyone can do uh, about it unless you have somebody with enough funds and a legal team that can fight your way through it. When we talk about criminal justice reform, when we talk about police reform, it's a systemic issue. From the moment of your first, in, uh, first contact with police officers all the way into until your release and even your post-release, uh, uh, post-relief, uh, post-release relief that you may pursue, the entire system has to be fit from the uh, from the ruta to the tuta, as we say in the south. It is broken all the way through. People get lost in the system. Paperwork disappears. People spend far, uh, far too long in prison. Even when they are supposed to be released, uh, they still end up staying. And there's so many people who are still who are still currently serving sentences who are uh, who never should have been convicted. Who there was misconduct, malfeasance <laughs> in the in the trial, and until we can root those things out, people will not have uh, have any confidence in our criminal justice system. Uh, if, if I think of it as a phrase we often hear, that's that bullshit, Monique, that probably applies to cases like this. Well, there is a complete lack of humanity that is involved uh, with having your liberty taken from you and many times people who have had no connection to the system don't understand how heinous the treatment really is just regularly. Uh, and so none of these, unfortunately, uh, as Robert said, none of these situations are a surprise to people who have been involved in any way, shape, or form with the criminal justice system. And that is why reform for all of the system is so important and why I'm going to keep saying George Floyd Justice and Policing Act as mm -hmm. often as I possibly can and every other associated piece of legislation that makes uh, the situation for predominantly black and brown people better than it is right now. Scott? Yeah, this sounds like the movie Brubaker, where the animus and the physical violence against prisoners in dilapidated prison buildings uh, just rings, rings so true with this case. I'm not sure he was wrongfully convicted, but what they were holding him for had to do with his drug abuse. He conceded he was a drug addict, but if he's got lifetime parole, he could have done a program on the parole to resolve that issue. They held him, arguably, at least what they said, they held him because he had been doing it. They realized or he flunked a drug test. He had been doing drugs in the system before he was set for parole. That made no sense to keep him. But you got to remember, this is Louisiana, and you have several jurisdictions where it's just animus, but don't blame it on the system. Blame it on the bad actors. 
the judges, the parole officers, that parole committee. Uh, I've had cases with judges that had defendants sit for 10 years before even giving them a hearing. Uh, and they've gone to federal court to get their justice, even though the federal court or federal judge may not, um, may, may not even have jurisdiction. And so let's remember, the lab technicians, the judges, the prosecutors, they may not care, but they, all of their jobs is to do justice. And here, that justice wasn't done. And unfortunately, there are a lot of other cases like this. I must get 10 cases a month or 10 letters a month from defendants who are incarcerated who are asking for my help or my law firm's help. Uh, well, look, and as you said, this is uh, Louisiana. Enough yep. said. All right, yeah, before I go yep. to break, Cleveland's 58th mayor has been busy during his first week in office. Justin Bibb, who became the second youngest person to be elected mayor of Cleveland, was sworn in last week. The ceremony took place at the East 131st Street branch of the Cleveland Public Library. The library Bibb frequented, frequented growing up in Cleveland. He said it was in that very library he learned he could be anything. On this historic occasion, I can't help but think about my journey to this office. And that journey started right here at this library, in that seat, in that chair, at a computer. Um, and as a poor black boy from the southeast side who was 10 years old, trying to find my way into a very complicated world, this place, this place was my refuge. And I'll never forget Miss Cunningham, who was the head librarian here at the time, when I was struggling to find out my path in this life. And I asked Miss Cunningham, what do I have to do to stay out of trouble? He said, young man, read them books, mind your elders, and keep showing up at the library. <laughs> and thank God for the Miss Cunninghams of Cleveland, because it was the Miss Cunninghams of Cleveland that made my story possible in this great city. And that's why nearly a year ago, we made this audacious dream come to fruition to become the next mayor of Cleveland. Well, uh, congratulations again to Mayor Bibb uh, on taking office. Sorry, Scott. He's an alpha man. Sorry. Man, I looked it up before I did this show tonight. Oh, well, congrats, I guess. Look, everybody, <laughs> everybody ain't able. Everybody ain't able. Oh, so well. We'll, I, we'll watch his record closely. Trust I, me. I, 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 I am thankful he did not join. <laughs> uh, he did not join a secondary a youth group. All right, y'all, well, when we look, come back... took them that young. Y'all take them young, boy. Well, actually, because um, we understand that when you have a high enough grade point average, when you have leadership skills, and when you don't want to look silly shimming, uh, that's what we do. <laughs> All right, got to go to break. We come back. Uh, we're going to talk with a black-owned tech company, how you can spend money while chipping away at your debt. And y'all, y'all don't want to miss this crazy-ass white person out of Texas. Seriously, <laughs> blaming black teachers for a high dropout rate. You're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered, the Black Star Network. Download our app on all platforms, Apple TV, Android TV, Roku, Samsung TV, 
Amazon Fire's uh, Xbox as well, plus Roku. And of course, please support us in what we do by joining our Bring the Funk fan club. Cash App, Dollar Sign, RM Unfiltered. PayPal, R Martin Unfiltered. Venmo is RM Unfiltered. Zelle is rolling at rollingsmartin.com. Rolling at rollingmartinunfiltered.com. And y'all, if, if, if y'all want to understand, why this show matters. Today's show is all you need to know, whether it's Ben Crump and the story of North Carolina, Serena Amy Klobuchar, the sister who elected in Florida, then of course, uh, Morgan Freeman, Frankie Faison, Kim Kenneth Camp Chamberlain Jr., Papa to Marilyn Mosby's deal, Thomas Frampton, plus our guest coming up. So for all the rest of these people who love running their miles out there, want to call themselves black media, and all you do is just smack your gums, this is how a real black-owned news show is run. Take notes. The OG is teaching y'all some new tricks. I'll be back in a moment. some carriers give you so little for your older busted phone you just end up living with it? I don't think so. Verizon lets you trade in your broken phone for a shiny new one. You break it, we upgrade it. You dunk it, doggy bone it, <laughs> slam it, wham it, strawberry jam it, we upgrade it. Get a 5G phone on us with select plans. Every customer, current, new, or business. Because everyone deserves better. And with plans starting at just $35, better cost less than you think. It's an app that allows you to chip away at your debt with each pur purchase you make. After Houston husband and wife team got out of debt, they wanted to help others, so they created Spend Debt that allows people to pay off debts by leveraging micropayments with every banking transaction. Joining me now are Spend Debt co-founders Kylie and Tylesha Summers. How y'all doing? Good. Doing, doing pretty good. Okay, all right, so how, how, how does this work? How does this work? Man, it's, it's real simple. You link your bank account you, you want to pay from, such as your Bank of America checkers account. Then you tell us the debt account you want to pay. We can pay any consumer debt. Let's say you want to pay that credit card bill just after Christmas shopping. Uh, then you define the micropayment, anything greater than 50 cents, let's call it $1. After that, you begin spending. So let's say you buy that favorite latte at Starbucks for a dollar, excuse me, for $5. Automatically, $1 adds to that transaction. $5 will go to Starbucks. $1 will go towards that credit card debt. And over the course of a month, we aggregate all those transactions to the one-time payment on your behalf every month. Just that simple. 
Okay. <laughs> Got it. So uh, you like was well, that simple? Uh, and so for so it, it sounds foreign, Tylisha, for somebody to say that I'm getting out of debt by spending money. That's right. That's right. A little bit, but. As you spend, we are deducting micropayments, as Kylie is calling, but we're deducting small amounts of money. So we like to think of it, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. How do you pay off debt? One micropayment at a time. So by taking these small amounts out of your bank account, you don't notice it. But then you're very surprised at the end of the month how much you've either swiped your debit card or had banking transactions. And so how much money we've actually collected. And then we send that to your creditor of choice. So uh, as of quickly, you'd be surprised. So for y'all, how long did it take for y'all? About seven years. It, it, to took, it took seven years. Yep, seven years. Uh, uh, and how, how much debt were we talking about? Over one hundred and forty plus thousand dollars of consumer debt. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Student loans, credit cards, auto loans—you name it. We had it. We first generation graduates, so it costs to be the first. It's good to be the first, but it costs to be the first because you have to pay off or buy things for the first time, and we we have to do that. All right, so I got somebody on YouTube who goes, I'm suspicious of all these apps trying to siphon spare change from everybody. Just saying. You're not siphoning from everybody. You're actually rounding off. So it's actually not round up. I mean, in, so. fact, in fact, like, like, like I was in the store today, and I, think my, I, I, bought, I bought some water, and it was like $12.39, and they said, hey, do you want it to be rounded? Do you want it to be rounded off to go to a food bank? So how so how is so how is this working? How, so give me an example. If I if I go spend two dollars and thirty nine cents, what's going? What, what's happening? Yep. So you as a user define or set what that that micropayment is. So it's not roundup. So Got you it. as a user know every time you spend money, a dollar is going to come out or fifty cents, whatever you set it to be. You know what that amount is going to be. So you rolling, you're going to set your micropayment to a dollar. Every time you spend, regardless of what the amount is, a dollar is going to come out every time. A dollar, a dollar. You're going to see spend it, a dollar, you know, taking a dollar out. And then at the end of the month, we send that to your creditor of choice. So one big difference is that we don't set that money aside where you still have access to it. And like, oh, at the end of the month, I saved $100. Let me move that back to my checkings. No. Upon setup, you tell us where it's going to go, and we're going to send it to that creditor at the end of the month. All right. So for these creditors, though, is there a minimum amount? Because um, so, so what? Are, you, are they getting $3? Uh, is there, is, I mean, so, so is there a minimum? How, how, is, that, how is that happening? So that's that's a great question. So we, we work independent on what the, the consumer owes, right? So um, whether we send in $1 as that monthly payment, if that's what they accumulated in their spend debt account, or we send in $100 or $1,000, it doesn't matter. We send whatever the consumer um, has with their spend debt account to the creditors um, because we are in addition to what they're already paying, such as their minimum payment to their creditor. So... Um, when y'all started this, were your family and friends going, are y'all crazy? <laughs> well, whenever you have an idea, uh, people always kind of, you know, think like, man, is that going to work? Or they'll tell you it won't work. But God gave me this vision, uh, and, and you know, and I'm running with it. And we stepped out on faith and here we are. And, you know, we, we are seeing, uh, God's provision show up for the vision that he gave us. All right. Questions. Uh, Robert, you got a question for uh, our uh, guest? 
Uh, yeah, one of my questions will be, so when you're talking to uh, people who are signing up for the app, when you're talking about the fact that you guys were able to pay off that much debt over the course of seven years, uh, how is it advantageous to do it this way versus someone just saving up and just making a lump sum payment of $500 or $1,000 uh, to one of their creditors? Yeah, I, I, we both got opinions on this, but here it is. The, the bottom line is uh, people don't, they, they have the right intentions to do the right thing or to pay that bill, but if something comes up, that new shirt, them shiny shoes or that gold chain, they're going to get it, right? And they leave the bills left to be paid. Um, that's why, the in some cases, the debt bubble has grown, particularly in our community. So if we can help them establish great payment history, uh, payment habits, uh, with our platform, we can put them in better situations so they can improve their credit rates and credit score over time. We've had a lot of customers say, I, I've always said I wanted to do more and put more to the side or put more on my bill, and I never did. And now here's a way where I don't have to think about it, and it's done automatically for me. Yep. Um, Scott. Yeah. <clears throat> Listen, I, I think it's a wonderful app, but I'm not sure it answers all the questions regarding debt management. So, for example... Well, it ain't meant to answer all the damn not, questions. It's not, Roman. <laughs> well, but let me get my question out. You That's know, a dumbass question, but go ahead. Here it is. Here it is. While I'm putting money aside because I'm doing transactions, the, the, the death knell for, for, for debt management is the interest rates on those credit cards and stuff. And so, let's say a dollar for 20 transactions, $20... That's really not helping me attack that um, the the interest rate on that, and that's really what you're trying to get under control. And so, if you can save or even borrow money to pay that down, you're saving money on the interest. This app doesn't really do that. Or tell me why I'm wrong about that. I don't, I don't think you're wrong at all. I think it's a lot of different ways to manage that. Right? We are a simple platform that allows people to spend money and pay off debt, and to help them want to commit to paying. Because it's some things that people just ignore. They're scared to go to the mailbox. They're scared to open up the text message or the email. Hey, they can commit to paying their debt using a platform like ours. Um, the other thing is some people want to accelerate paying off the debt. They want to pay more than just the minimum. And so we can help on any end of the... And you help them do that? If, exactly. Yes, we can. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Monet? Yeah, no problem. Monet? I'll take her question, because I've got one All right, Monique, back to that cricket Wi-Fi. All right, Kylie and Talisha, final comment. One, we appreciate you, Brother Roland. You know, I'm an alpha man, just like you. Oh, Scott. Oh, Scott. See, Scott. See, Scott, you can't handle when them alphas do their thing, Scott. You can't handle when them alphas do their thing, Scott. Oh, yeah. God. You're 50 years old and stepping on that. No, no Scott, I'm 50. Stop it. Scott, I'm 53. <laughs> see, Scott. See, Look at you. But see, Scott, you can't just hit that step on demand. Yeah, I can't. See, you're I'm weak. a stepmaster. No, you're not. No, you're not. Your no, ass going to pull. You're going to pull a muscle. You're going to pull an ass muscle. You ain't fooling nobody. Uh, <laughs> uh, Kylie, go ahead and finish your comment. No, man, we, we appreciate you allowing us to, uh, to to talk with the viewers. Hey, for those out there who are interested in Spendet, please visit us at spendet.com. You can find us on all platforms uh, at Spendet. On, only on Instagram, you can find us at it's Spendet, it's I-T-S underscore Spendet. Uh, we would love to uh, have you as customers to try the product. 
uh, and let us know what, what your feedback is. But also, we want to help people. At the end of the day, this is about helping people manage and control their debt because finance is at the core of everything that we do. Before we became debt-free, we were stressed out. We was working for the things that we had. But when we became debt-free, it unlocked us to become entrepreneurs, us to become healthier. And so finances are so powerful, uh, and not just becoming debt-free, but really controlling the lifestyle of the other things that you may want to see and do. Um, and so we encourage everybody to really put heavy emphasis on focus on controlling them and not let them control you. All right. I appreciate it. Thank you so very much. And y'all repping like alphas do. All right. Thanks a bunch. <laughs> and, and from Ace Town. All right. Yes, thanks sir. a lot. Scott don't want no. Scott, you don't, Scott, that, that, see that, that, little, yo, that, yo. Little crap, that little crap y'all do? Yo. That ain't nothing. Hey, All right. Y'all know what time it is. We're okay. Why? I got you, All right, folks are demanding a Texas school board member resign after he made comments suggesting that the more black teachers in a school district, the higher the black dropout rate. Monday night, Scott Henry said this during a Cypress Fairbanks ISD equity audit report. Now, uh, go ahead and play it. And we have such a hard time getting teachers. And I know it's such a hard, hard job. Y'all have a hard job getting teachers. Very hard. Um, people just don't want to be teachers anymore, and I get that. It's hard. But Cypress has, what, 13% black teachers. I know you mentioned it earlier, earlier. Do you know what the statewide average is for black teachers? Not at this moment, sir. Ten percent. Ten I looked it up. The statewide average for black teachers is ten percent. Houston ISD, which I'll use the shine example, you know what the, you know what their average number of percentage of black teachers is? Thirty-six percent. I looked that up. You know what their dropout rate is? Four percent. I don't want to be four percent. I don't want to be HISD. I want to be a shine example. I want to be the district standard. I want to be the place, the premium place where people go to go to be. And quite frankly, we have a limited budget with limited resources. We have a great place. And let's don't mess it up for everyone else. All right, Robert Henry says his words are getting twisted for political purposes. We heard what your punk ass said. Well, look, his words are getting twisted by y'all repeating them. Y'all should just ignore what he said and just let him say that I want to have fewer black people because black people make kids drop out. That's clearly what he meant. Uh, look, these, right. these are the things that have always been going on in our educational system. And the problem has always been that they happen behind closed doors. Only now because we have cameras, because we have live access to the things that are going on, is sunshine being brought upon this. Where are all those critical race theory white people at protesting this? Why aren't they there marching and holding up signs saying that you want to get rid of this? Because the agenda has always been to continue the indoctrination of black children into a white supremacist system, and they want to keep that going. And the one thing that messes that up is having conscientious, hardworking black teachers who are going to teach them their real history, and that's what he really wants to happen, a continuation and an entrenchment of white supremacy into the hearts and minds of black children, because that makes them easier to control. They want to learn that George Washington would not chuck down a cherry tree because he can't tell a lie. Not that he owned 300 black slaves and wouldn't let them leave. Scott. Yeah, you know, it, he he's the one that brought up black teachers. I didn't understand why he went to black teachers and those percentages gratuitously. He, he gratuitously did that and then 
clearly he was making a comparison between if you had 36% teachers, black teachers, and then you had a 4% dropout. I don't want to be a 4% dropout. But what do black teachers have to do with dropout? But more importantly, what does that have to do with being hard to find teachers generally in whatever district he was in? It made no sense. And so even if his words are being misconstrued, he voluntarily brought up the race question with teachers. I don't think he tied it up very well because I was confused listening to the point he was making. But it was a racist point, and so he ought to be, you know, he 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 can't be he can't get forgiveness because he confused himself. Basically, he he's the one that tied those words up. It had no place in his comments. Doesn't matter what color the teacher is; it's academic Aggie. excellence and people not dropping out of school. This real simple: say dumb shit, take that heat. That's right. all. That's all it is. So suck it up. So I don't want to hear nothing. No blame on everybody else. All right, Scott, Robert. Monique, I certainly appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Scott, again, you don't want none of this. You don't want none of this. Yo, yo. Scott, you don't Shut want up, none dude. of this. First of all, that little OK sign, that's the white power sign. Yeah. That's the white power sign, yeah. too. So uh, <laughs> yeah. just so you know, that's also the white power sign, so to let you know. Yeah, but that ain't, so, that ain't, that ain't what I'm saying. Yeah, but here's the whole deal, though. You know who your daddy is. Because remember, oh, without God. Alpha, y'all just known as Kappa Psi. All right, I I'll see y'all next week. Folks, y'all want to support what we do here at Roland Martin Unfiltered, the Black Star Network. Y'all know how we roll. Of course, uh, we're doing great. You'll see our, our new set here. Uh, we got a lot of you things happening. Uh, no, please, I'm an alpha, son. Humble yourself. First of all, servants of all, humble we shall yourself. transcend all. All. You should humble yourself. All. Y'all Black Network, this is how we Oh, this is how it is. Y'all, mute, mute his microphone. We done with him. Y'all, of course, support us in what we do. Of course, joining our Brenda Funk fan club, Cash App, dollar sign, RM Unfiltered. PayPal is Martin Unfiltered. Venmo is RM Unfiltered. Zelle is rolling that, rolling this martin.com. Rolling that, rolling martin. Unfiltered.com. Uh, I appreciate it, folks. Of course, download our app, the Black Star Network app. It's available on all platforms: Apple, Apple phone, Android phone, Apple TV, Android TV, Roku, Amazon Fire, Xbox, Samsung Smart TV, uh, as well. All right, y'all. We didn't get to some stories today, such as the domestic uh, terrorism story. We will do that on tomorrow's show. Looking forward to that, man. We got some great stuff lined up for y'all as well. Uh, and coming soon, y'all. We launching for four new shows on the Black Star Network beginning on um, uh, uh, February 1st. Next week, the next episode of Rolling with Rolling, y'all, y'all, that Richard Lawson interview was like crazy. Folks have been talking about it. Glenn Turman, uh, interview with him, yo, crazy, hilarious, but also really wonderful, powerful. He talks about uh, his long story career uh, in Hollywood. And I told y'all, y'all see what we do. Today's show was absolutely bonkers. With Ben Crump at the top, of course, uh, Marlo Hunter, uh, brother, the, brother, the, the cat who lost his life in North Carolina, and then a sister who won in Florida, and again, uh, Senator Amy Klobuchar, of course, having uh, Frankie Faison, Kenneth Chamberlain Jr., Morgan Freeman on the show as well, uh, and then, of course, uh, having the tech segment. I mean, we're just going on and on and on. Y'all, this is what we're doing. This is what we're building. Y'all, MSNBC, CNN, Fox News, ABC, NBC, CBS, they are not doing 
any of this the way we are doing it. I want y'all to understand that. That's why we need your support. We need we need your help. And look, all these people here just chattering, these black people running their mouths, all these folks with bad lace fronts, and the rest of these people who just trip, we don't care about them, because you know what? All they're doing is smacking gums. We are putting in the work, educating our people, informing our people, letting them know, letting them know about the issues that matter to them. And so I don't waste time talking about any of the haters, because you will never see me spend uh, even 15, 20, 30 seconds on them because they don't matter. Because you know what? From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare.